Seahawks fans, wherever you may be. Welcome back for another edition of the Seahawks Playbook Podcast. Join your host, Bill Alpstead, and co-host, sports writer and football analyst, Keith Myers, as we talk Seahawks football. Back to another edition of the Seahawks Playbook Podcast. I'm your host, Bill Alstead, here with co-host Keith Myers. Good afternoon, Keith. Thanks for joining the show yet again. I think the 188th straight time that we're joining the show together, or or save one or two episodes where we have uh, Dana O'Gorman come in and, and co-host. I think you did a one-off show one time too because uh, we couldn't get the recording set uh, correctly for yeah, me. But when, uh, the show think, carried on. I, I think you were either in San Diego or Europe, and Sh- San Diego. When yeah. I when we recorded it, it came off with you being so insanely quiet that it was impossible. Yeah, to that's because I so. said I was in San Diego, but I was really in Tijuana. Oh, that yeah. works. It's a little phone booth ish kind of. Uh, <laughs> right there <laughs> no actually, um, the problem was on my end with the recording so but thank, thank, i wasn't for, gonna say anything thanks for trying to take the blame though. I, <laughs> I appreciate i appreciate the effort yeah well here we are uh we are so close keith i can smell it it's crazy i didn't even honestly i didn't allow myself to believe that we could get to the season um and here we are we're on uh, within 10 days of the season starting it looks like it's going to be a full go i think the league has done a tremendous job with COVID 19 um and the lack thereof as far as infection uh rates in the league uh there's been very few players impacted so far which is a great thing and it means we can play football starting September 13th which is a week from this coming Sunday uh but before we get to that we've uh, got a couple of shows for you uh instead of doing the regular uh roster prediction show uh we did that earlier um this summer um, just kind of get ahead of that. And, uh, we're going to do a reaction show instead this year. Uh, and that'll come next week of the roster cutdowns, which are Saturday, uh, rosters need to go from 80 man, uh, roster to a 53 man roster as of 1 PM Pacific on Saturday. So, uh, we'll have a reaction to that, uh, when we record next week, but this show is going to be a Seahawks regular season schedule prediction show. It's our fourth annual show that we uh, get together on here, and we uh, predict wins and losses for each game uh, throughout the season. So we'll go through all of the Seahawks opponents for the year and um, jam in our win and loss totals in there and see where we end up. Um, But first, before we start any of that, we've got a few transaction things going on. Keith, why don't you take that on um, and let us know what's going on? So it starts with uh, the Seahawks signing uh, wide receiver Josh Gordon, even though he has not been reinstated yet, um, which means he, which means he does not, I say he does not take a roster spot. He does not count against the cap. He is not anything other than tied to the Seahawks, and no one else can sign him if he does get reinstated. How uh, can we co- sign somebody with, without having any designation? Is that just because he's? Suspended because he's suspended. So when 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 he he was signed and immediately placed on the suspended list, which takes him off the roster, um, and the moment he gets reinstated, he can be moved off the suspended list uh, back onto the active roster. They actually get a roster exemption for a week, um, allowing them to have a fifty fourth member on the roster while they get him up to speed. 
Wow, that's a very interesting thing to be able to do, but I'm kind of glad they did it because it sounds like a pretty uh, awesome thing. Now, you, I, I uh, said uh, you kind of predicted this as soon as the season ended last year, and you've kind of carried forth as though Josh Gordon was on the Seahawks roster the entire offseason, and here you are. Uh, your prediction has uh, merit, and it's had has come true. So, well, let's not let's not act like it was some sort of you know piece of clairvoyance. This was like one of the well, everybody kind of got on that bandwagon, no doubt. Yeah, this is one of the easiest calls we've ever had as far as like predicting things. He wanted to be in Seattle. He kept push, putting all these Instagram posts together about uh, Seattle and and the city and the team and all of that. And we knew that it was going to happen. Uh, we also knew that when now that they're no longer testing um, for marijuana usage, which is what Josh Gordon got suspended for, um, all seven or eight suspensions that he's had, uh, that they weren't going to be able to keep him suspended forever because what he did was no longer illegal. Um, and Why do you think it took so long? He he he'd asked for reinstatement over two months ago, and you'd think on something like that where it was such a surefire situation. Uh, determinations could have been made earlier to allow the player to come into camp and acclimate with, with everybody. It just seems like it was kind of not done with any haste. I think some of that has to do with COVID-19 and um, they, the, the league was so invested in, in getting that figured out and all the testing and everything that they really just didn't put any resources towards uh, anything else. And basically what they, said is that Josh Gordon was such a low priority that he will, he just needed to wait. And it kind of sucks for him because this is his, it's kind ability, of a, a punishment without being a punishment. Uh-huh. It is. And so, I mean, we'll see. Um, there was the other part I went back and was relooking at stuff when he got suspended. And for the most part, the reports all were saying, you know, it was marijuana usage again. Um, but I found a couple of reports that said, he actually tested positive for marijuana and uh, a suspected like PED. Um, but it wasn't really a PED. It was a masking agent. So it falls under the PED policy. But then for him, it was trying to mask the marijuana usage. Um, and of course it didn't work. So, and that's how he got caught and everything. So it might be that the league is intentionally dragging its feet because of that PED distinction and not wanting to um, make a call before they have to on whether or not it is going to fall under the PED policy or the substance abuse policy. Um, and so that is going to be an interesting uh, fallout from this. The thing is, like I said, I found Are a Are you couple- thinking of further exp- uh, suspension then? Even Maybe. though it might be a reinstatement, you're thinking possibly two to four games right up front? Yeah, I don't. That's the thing is, I don't know because if, uh, if he can link it to like marijuana and, you know, he can basically come out and be, and, and again, just push that what he did was no longer against the rules, although the masking agent is against the rules. It's just such a, a weird, like, middle ground, like, neutral craziness that I don't know where the league's going to go with it. I How many, let me ask you this, uh, when he was suspended last year, it was before the end of the regular season, how many games did he miss? And maybe that would be enough to serve as the suspension. Um, It was most of the season, wasn't it? Like wasn't he played Four he, games? Yeah, I, he, he played in 
like he didn't play the first week and then he played in like three or four games and then he got suspended Oh, okay. and was out for the rest of the year. Um, or maybe he played more than that. I don't have all that in I front of me. Maybe he played seven games. Okay. Or something like that. So you're still looking at, um, like eight games, maybe six games, depending on, on where it fell in the year. But, um, even if it's six games, I mean, that's the standard PED, mm-hmm. um, you know, that's, that was first time, point. first time suspension. So, you know, he can chalk it up to time served and not have anything tacked on. And I think that has a, a, a chance to, you know, happen. The other problem that we run into is there was a, a collective bargaining agreement reached and in it, it pulled back some of Roger Goodell's power and placed it into, you know, kind of this uh, team of uh, former players and league representatives and whatever. And I don't know if that has been fully formed and convened because of COVID. And that might be part of the problem as well. So what else happened? Um, What else happened was that they signed um, a defensive end, uh, DeMonte Moore, who has played... A couple games here and there um, was with the Seahawks for four games back in 2016, played three games the following year, two games in each of the last two years. The Seahawks have signed him um, to be depth on the defensive line. I don't necessarily see him making the roster, or if he does, it's going to be a Brandon Jackson. Yeah, I mean, I with, with Daryl Taylor looking like he's going to go on the uh, unable to perform list um, right out of the gate, missed the first six games at least. Demontre Moore is probably, you know, looking at taking it up that roster spot, depending on what they do at defensive tackle. Um, but it seems like a signing so late in the in the year, right before cutdowns, that it, it seems more than just a, uh, a, a pickup for the last two or three days of camp. Um, so we'll see. Um, they signed... Paul Richardson, too, uh, officially. So we talked about that last week. Um, So let me ask you this. With the combined Paul Richardson, Josh Gordon situation, it it seems like we don't have any more question marks at wide receiver as far as the top five are concerned. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I think there's a little bit of discussion and talk out there about Philip Dorsett has a little bit of a foot issue. Apparently he's back to full health right now, back um, practicing with the team. So... Not sure if that carries over to cut down day um, and IR and all that kind of stuff. Um, So you've got a a roster of Tyler Lockett, DK Metcalf, Philip Dorsett, um, Josh Gordon, Paul Richardson, uh, David Moore, John Ursua, uh, Freddie Swain, obviously uh, they drafted. Um, That's a pretty stacked room. And what do you do at the back end there? And who's um, been, you're missing someone who's actually been extremely, pro, well, uh, Cody Thompson. Yeah. Who's t- been too, productive right. in camp. He's been wowing people. But has he got been, hurt and then he just came back a, a couple of days ago. I know. But you, what I'm saying though is, is this is a guy that in any other year you would be like, okay, this is a guy who, who's earned a roster spot. He's fought. He did everything the team asked him to do. He performed in camp. He looked good. He made plays. You mean like the kid from Washington a, a few years ago? Yeah. <laughs> Case in Williams. It's no guarantee. It's no guarantee that you're no, but make it, it's kind of a similar situation. Except for I think that this wide receiver room is significantly deeper than it was. It totally um, is when it was Case in Williams. But you've got 
in a normal year, this he would make the roster because he's done what he needs to to make the roster. Yeah, um, but look at the guys in front of him. Holy yeah, cow. In this year, though, he's not even going to make the top eight. <laughs> yeah. Well, he's definitely going to the practice squad. I mean, that's a guy you want to keep around. The The guy I'm more concerned about is Freddie Swain, guy we picked up in the sixth round, uh, by all indications, hasn't done enough mm-hmm. in camp to warrant a roster spot. And so it makes you wonder if they uh, will even keep him around on the practice squad. I think that they will. You don't want to invest that much and then just let a guy go. You kind of want to see if he can come along and develop a little bit. But uh, it's kind of reminiscent of the Gary Jennings sort of situation. A uh, guy with a whole bunch of speed, a guy that, that's apparently a great route runner in college, comes in and can't can't bust through it all. So, uh, But what do you, how do you feel about the wide receiver group? How do you feel about all the, um, um, the, the talent on the offensive side of the ball for Russell Wilson this year, including well, the, the t- tight ends great. and uh, including DJ Dallas and all that kind of stuff? This might be the best pure group of, um, talent around Russell Wilson he's ever had. Um, and I mean, he's never had a receiver like, uh, Metcalf. Um, you know, I mean, he had, uh, Sydney, um, back, you know, his rookie year, but he got hurt. Um, and Sydney Rice, by the way, um, I just called him Sydney and assumed you all remember who that was. (laughs) but, um, you know, other than, you know, a few games before that injury, uh, that's the only, you know, big play, big wide receiver that he's played with. Everyone else has been either small, shifty guys like um, Baldwin, uh, big, slow guys like uh, David Moore, or small, very fast, straight line guys like um, Lockett and Richardson. So, the combination of big and fast is, is kind of new. And so having that and then having all the other pieces and just how good those other pieces are, um, is. I mean, we're talking about Josh Gordon as being like the fourth or fifth best wide receiver in this group. And any other group, he would probably be no, no worse than third, possibly Mm -hmm. even the second wide receiver in, in most, um, rooms. Yeah, I'm excited. I mean, Tyler Lockett, DK Metcalf, right at the top, obviously. And then Paul Richardson, you know, you've got to begin to wonder, like, um, what's going to happen with this group? Because you've got Dorsett sitting there and Richardson, they're kind of duplicates. And then Josh Gordon and David Moore are kind of duplicates. And then you've got John Ursua. Of course, you've got the guys we talked about earlier. Add Aaron Fuller. Seth Dawkins was uh, waived today, so we don't have to worry about that. Uh, Freddie Swain, Cody Thompson. Um, I would say that Aaron Furler, Freddie Swain, Cody Thompson are probably practice squad guys, and they go ahead and keep six wide receivers this year. At least that's the way that that I see it, and they did last year as well. So, yeah, I think yeah. Six, six wide receivers at, at this point kind of feels like a given. Um, you know, maybe even one of those seven. We don't... If you keep if you, if you if Dorsett's on the roster and he doesn't go to IR for his foot. You've got mm-hmm. Lockett, Metcalf, Dorsett, Richardson, Gordon, Moore, Ursua. That's seven. Mm-hmm. I don't. That's think crazy. Moore, I don't think Moore makes the team if uh, Gordon is activated. Yeah. Um, that could be I, a week two thing or week three or who knows, right? Yeah, and so whenever Gordon gets activated, I think that's that's the end of the David Moore uh, era, unless someone gets hurt and then there's a spot. Um, there is an interesting dynamic there where Dorsett and Richardson are the same player. And 
and what they do with that. Do they want to have that player on the roster? Does uh, signing Richardson mean that Dorset that Dorset's going to lose his spot? Um, I'm just because putting the of best. I'm just putting the best guys on the roster. Yeah, you know, and if that's Dorset and Richardson, or um, yeah, and they double up, so be it. You know, mm-hmm. because um, just they're so cheap, you just take the talent and you worry about the playing time, how it washes out later on. Um, and eventually there's probably going to be an injury or whatever, and or guys are ineffective and they need to step up. And we still don't know what we have in John Ursua. Um, you know, you, you've got a guy like Paul Richardson and Dorsett that can both play the slot um, if needed, as well as Lockett. So I think it's a, it's a great problem to have. Um, but we didn't come here to talk about the roster, so we got to set it aside. I know. I mean, I'm looking at the roster because I, I made my own roster today and put it out on Twitter, and I'm looking at it, and all I want to do is talk about it. And so I just have to set it aside and bury it under some other paperwork, and um, we can talk about the actual uh, season and uh, start talking about opponents. Um, we did this earlier in the year. We kind of went through the schedule when the schedule came out from the NFL just as kind of an initial walkthrough, but this is actually where we're predicting um, wins and losses. So how did you want to kind of go through this, Keith? Let's just go through um, starting, let's start at week one and just go through win, loss, win, loss. And we'll talk about how and come up with a prediction. I have mine ready to go. And do um, you? Yeah. And you've got them all written down. You're not going to do this kind of uh, as we go. No, I'm not doing this as we go. I've got it already. Although, I have two games that I have one win and one loss, and I literally have arrows and said this can go either way. But I think they're going to go. They're going to. Um, they're going to win one and lose one. And then <laughs> there's a couple of games so. here where you could you could sway me one way or another, and um, and I'm sure probably uh, me to you as well. So let's let's go through it. Falcons, um, Atlanta Falcons on the road on the 13th of September starts the season for the Seahawks. Uh, it's a 10 a.m. game. Uh, last year, the Falcons were seven and nine. There's really no indication that they're substantially better than seven and nine this uh, year. Dan Quinn was sh- certainly on the hot seat last year at seven and nine. I think expectations were greater than that. But they just don't have the talent. Uh, they did pick up a few guys. I mean, they still have Matt Ryan, Julio Jones, Calvin Ridley. Uh, they got a new uh, defensive coordinator this year, and. Um, and, and we'll see if that helps uh, take some of the pressure off Dan Quinn. Um, and uh, I don't know. I mean, th- their roster, Seahawks have a better roster. I think that if you're really looking at their division as well, um, they've, you know, they're not going to win their division. Um, and so it'll be, it'll be really interesting um, because who knows what's going to happen in the first game. Like, are the Seahawks prepared? Are the Seahawks prepared to play games right now? That's part of the problem of the offseason, Keith, is we haven't really had an opportunity to look at our team, to look at our players, how everyone fits together. We're, you know, literally word of mouth, you know, passed around a campfire uh, 14 times around in a circle. And by the time it gets to the 14th time around, it's a completely different story. That's kind of how I feel. I'm so lost for the first time in ages as we get ready to go. But here we are, and I've got it as a win on the road against the Falcons just because we're a better team. So um, week one is always much more chaotic and random 
than any other week because there isn't film. And so you see teams that end the year uh, with a terrible record actually do well week one and teams that end up, you know, as a playoff team lose week one. And so it's, it's very chaotic and with no preseason whatsoever and no, none of that. The Seahawks are on the road, early time slot um, at Atlanta. I have the Seahawks starting off with a loss. And it was hard to do, but I, I, I think this game could go in any direction simply because we literally don't know what to prep for as a team. You know what I mean? Like the Seahawks, what's the offense going to look like? What's the defense going to look like? They jettisoned a whole bunch of players that were way underperforming um, on that defense before, replaced them with different guys. We don't know what the scheme's going to be exactly because they've got a new DC. Um, how do you prep? And so I just went ahead and goes, you know what, let's, let's go ahead and, and call this one a loss and uh, move on. Yeah. I mean, you could, you made some great arguments and they're absolutely true. Nothing, nobody knows anything. It's going to be one of those deals where teams just show up. I think in the end talent wins, you know, the Falcons have added six former first round picks to their roster in 2020 tight end Hayden Hurst, Charlie uh, Harris, Todd Gurley. Dante Fowler, uh, Deion Buchanan at safety, and uh, Laquan Treadwell at at wide receiver are all adds. They added cornerback A.J. Terrell. um, Terrell. Uh, Marlon Davidson is going to be a really important figure in the middle for them. Uh, Matt Hennessy was a center that we both liked in the draft and and a few other guys. Um, I just think they're going to be young on defense, and I don't. I don't think that they're going to be able to slow down the Seahawks. So I think the Seahawks scoring and moving the ball is going to be a given in this game. Um, even though they have a new defensive coordinator, I just think that it's just going to be too much. I think Seattle's going to be ready and um, that'll be tough for them. Now us on defense, uh, you need to figure out a way to get to Matt Ryan. Cause he's a good quarterback. Uh, mm-hmm. He's a guy that can make plays. He's, he's very well studied. He knows, um, his playbook inside and out and has given Seattle issues and problems in the past, especially if we can't generate um, any pressure. I think pressure against the the Falcons and Matt Ryan is going to be the key to this game. And I just think between our, our linebackers and, and a few blitz packages that we've probably got dialed up and some of the new guys that we've got, Alton Robinson is going to be a key figure, I think right out of the gate. Um, I think that we're going to get some pressure. I don't know that we we necessarily sack him because he's pretty good at evading sacks, but I think we disrupt the timing enough. Um, and then the uh, the wild card, in fact, the wild card in almost every game <laughs> that I've written down is Jamal Adams. Uh, just how much impact is one player going to have on our defense? I think Jamal Adams is huge right out of the gate in a, in a game like this where he can disrupt passing lanes, timing, blitzing, um, if he can't get a turnover himself, I think he's going to generate turnovers for other players, and I think we we win this. So I got it for a win. So, all right, week two, week go two ahead. New, week two at home prime time game against the New England Patriots. This is a completely new look New England Patriots. No more Tom Brady. No more Gronkowski. It's now the Cam Newton show. Um, there, uh, Bill Belichick has never had a quarterback like. Cam Newton. He's, you know, made his career with Tom Brady, who is a dink and dunk guy and has been for years, 
was more of a vertical passer earlier in his career, but hasn't been for quite a while. Um, but now you've got a guy who runs the ball really well. He can throw the ball deep. He's got a big arm, but he's not particularly accurate on short passes. Uh, how much can the offense completely change to fit Cam Newton's skill set? Um, and how much is Belichick going to just expect uh, Cam to be able to come in and do some of the Brady things that I don't think is a good fit for him? Um, that's really what it comes down to me. And ultimately, I think they're in the middle of transitioning their personnel to get away from the dink and dunk uh, Tom Brady ears and move to a more dynamic offense. But they're not there yet. Yeah. Um, being at home, I have the Seahawks winning this game. You know, Cam Newton's a transformational figure as a quarterback, and apparently all indications are that he's doing very well in camp for them. He's been appointed team captain. He's been appointed their starter. Uh, they're going to they're gonna build this team around Cam Newton, it looks like, for at least the next few years. I mean, they, they only signed him for a short-term contract, but I think he's probably going to end up being around for a while, it sounds like. Um, so that's good for them. The... Um, the thing is, though, uh, Cam Newton's never struck fear into me at all as a quarterback, uh, not with Carolina, now not with New England. Um, Seattle's been able to kind of dictate terms with him. I think over the years he's had a few uh, things open up, but more or less, he hasn't been such a clutch guy that I'm afraid of him. Um, they've got some good pieces there, but a lot of young youth on that team, they 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 made a lot of decisions as a ball club before Cam Newton came that told me that they were rebuilding. Um, they, they lost Danny Shelton, Brady, obviously Jamie Collins at linebacker is not there anymore. Kyle Van Noy, excellent linebacker. Um, ben Watson retired. Philip Dorsett obviously is now with the Seahawks and they just signed some middle tier kind of free agents and the, the, they didn't really go big in free agency at all. So they didn't replace any of those guys. And then in the draft, they had Kyle Duger at safety, Josh Uche, who we both liked as defensive end, um, and Fernate Jenkins at, at linebacker, Ossie Ossie, a tight end, Dalton Keene, a tight end. Um, but those guys are young, unproven, doesn't don't really add anything this year, I don't think. And so for me, it's a win. Uh, it's at home. Seahawks, uh, I don't know how much that's going to make a difference this year. Um, yeah, with, with no, no, no people. fans. Yeah, no fans. It's just it's going to be weird. But um, this is again, it's a it's a talent and and quarterback and Russell Wilson over an inferior opponent, and I've got to go with the Seahawks in this. So, right out of the gate for me, it's two wins. Cool. Week three. What do you got? All right. So, uh, this is this is probably the, the biggest test, obviously, of the season so far. Uh, it's the second straight home game uh, for the Seahawks versus the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, it's, uh, you know, week three, September 27th is the date. I think afternoon game, no prime time, but it's a, it's a great test. I think Dallas, as much as I don't like Dallas at all, um, they're an underrated team, I think, in a, in a, in a, a sense, um, in the NFC East, you got the Philadelphia Eagles and you got the Cowboys. It's a two way race this year. The other two teams in the division, the Giants and the and Washington, who we also played this year, don't have a, a chance. Um, so it's going to come down to Philadelphia and Dallas. I give Dallas a little bit of an edge just because I think they have a slightly better roster. Um, 
they're going to come in wanting to prove something. This is going to be their, their test as well. And, um, but I'm still saying the Seahawks are going to win this game. Um, I just think Seattle's well positioned this year mentally. I, I don't know how I'm, I'm sensing that or feeling it, but I think that they're a, a good solid football team this year. And, um, the Seahawks win a team win type of game against the Cowboys, um, in this one. Yeah. Um, oh, and Mike McCarthy is the coach. They got a new coach. Yeah, that was, that. you know, and it comes down to my, I think it comes down to Mike McCarthy. So the Mike McCarthy that finished up in Green Bay, um, if that's the guy that the Cowboys hired, this is a pretty easy win for Seattle. Um, if it's the Mike McCarthy that he sold himself to Jerry Jones and other people as, meaning a guy that took a year off, and spent that entire year studying uh, the best offenses at college and the pros and really innovating and spending his time developing a completely new playbook and um, different yeah. ways to expose defenses and all that kind of stuff. If that actually is true and he calls games like, like he did when he first became Green Bay's head coach and was known as an innovator, um, then that this game could be really close because I, I mean Dak Prescott is an underrated quarterback um, overall. He is better than people want to give him credit for. Um, Ezekiel Elliott is a dynamic runner. Is he overpaid? Absolutely. Um, I wouldn't have paid him what they paid him, but it doesn't mean he's not good. <laughs> he's great, and that combination together with um, a pretty good offensive line, a good um, you know, a couple wide receivers they've got in there. You've got good pass rush uh, coming off the edge. There's that's going to be a tough team. I have this as a win for Seattle, but I am not like super stoked about that pick and saying, oh yeah, they're going to win and win easy. No, this is going to be a tough, a yeah. tough. No, it'll be a tough game because they they were really um, they finished really poorly last year, and they were they finished worse than. People thought that they would. They they finished the season eight and eight, but they were sixth in points scored, eleven in points allowed. Their expected win loss total because of that was eleven and five. They finished eight and eight. Um, I think this is definitely a 10, 11 win team that we're gonna face, but it is early in the season. And and um, you know, this is one of the also one of the uh wide receiver groups that rivals the Seahawks as far as talent level um overall with Amari Cooper and C.D. Lamb that they drafted, Michael Gallup. Um, and they, do, they, do they still have Cobb? I can't remember if they have, they, they have Cobb or not. But um, good lineup overall, good offense. I think the defense for Seattle is going to surprise people this year, and I think um, this team speed on the defense really helps Seattle in this game. Um, and then offensively, it's just going to be really difficult for people to – keep up with the Seahawks this year. I, I really do believe we're probably looking at one of the most efficient offenses in the league this year with the Seahawks. And so I, I've got it as a win. So now what, what did you say? Win? I had a win. Yep. All right. All right. So week four, they go on the road at Miami Miami is, um, depending on who you ask, either an absolutely terrible team or a team on the rise. 
Um, I don't think they're that good. I think they're at least a year away, if not two. I know that um, having uh, Tua at the quarterback is going to excite people and and all of that, but they aren't ready to win yet. The roster, rest of the roster is Do not. Do you know ready. If, if he's even ready? Out I of don't. The gate? I actually don't know. They they're I don't keeping. Either. They've they've been keeping a close lid on that. I think that I just think they don't want to tell people because why give people a chance to prep? Um, and so honestly, I I don't think this is a good team overall. And I haven't this down as a, a win, even though it's on the road, even though it's an early time slot. I still don't. I don't think it's gonna be that competitive of a game. Yeah, I mean, um, the Dolphins are an interesting team. They've got a heck of a roster, both, uh, you know, so like 75% young guys, but they've added 25% veterans in that, into that roster that make them interesting. Um, they have Josh Rosen and Ryan Fitzpatrick. If Tua can't go, they've got Jordan Howard that came in and Matt Breida, who's a super fast running back, Devonte Parker at wide receiver. They, signed Eric Flowers to be uh, the, an offensive lineman for them. Byron Jones at corners, one of the best corners. I already talked about Kyle Van Noy, a linebacker from New England. He joined them. Jordan Howard, linebacker. Um, Emmanuel Agba at running back as well. Shaq Lawson, defensive end. Um, and, the, and they had a heck of a draft. Um, they had uh, 15... No, they had... Um, quite a few different draft picks and like 10 draft picks and um, Raquan Davis is supposed to be having a tremendous camp at defensive tackle. Um, Curtis Weaver, their defensive end, they really like. They got Austin Jackson, the offensive tackle at 18th overall, Robert Hunt, one of the best guys that we like together. Um, their, their roster is no joke, but I get what you said right at the top. You said they're just not ready. Um, and it's kind of it reminds me of the Cardinals last year. Uh, they started to get uh, their roster together. They got their quarterback. And it's going to take them a, a while to pull that all together. And I think it's the same thing with the Dolphins. They're just not ready for prime time. But I think they will be probably next year. So yeah, I have I it as a win. I think they're a year away. I think, yeah, there's some nice pieces there. But I don't think the pieces all fit together real, real well. They've got... Um, They've got some players that are better suited for a 3-4 playing next to guys that are better suited for a 4-3. They still have some roster manipulations that need done to make that team, as you said, ready for prime time. I think they're better than they have been, which is not hard to do, but that doesn't mean they're but doesn't mean that they're ready. So Yeah. It's hard to go from, you know, a, a three or four win team to a to a, a nine win team in one year, even mm-hmm. with all the new pieces that they, that they got. Uh, it's just really difficult to do. All right. So we move on to the Vikings at Seahawks in the week five battle uh, in the time. NFC. Two teams are probably going to be there at the end, you know, along with the saints and the 49ers, you got the Seahawks, the Vikings and um, uh, the Packers. And I think the Vikings are going to be there. Uh, it's a primetime game, Keith. NBC game, 520 in the afternoon. Uh, the Vikings are the team that has the 15 draft picks. Justin Jefferson's completely underrated wide receiver, but is he ready to go? Jeff Gladney, uh, corner, Ezra Cleveland. They just had a ton of guys. I mean, they drafted for volume for sure. 
Um, and they had a good off season too. Um, I the don't. Best, the, the best move of their off season happened a couple of days ago. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, Yannick. You know, they 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 traded a second round pick and a and a future fifth. You know, depending on how it how it washes out, that's a great deal for them. It's going to replace mm-hmm. Everson Griffin for them. Um, that's it's good. They were eighth in points scored last year, fifth in points allowed. Um, they were ten and six. They were expected wins were eleven plus. Um, it this is this is a tough one for me because Mike Zimmer, the Seahawks have had the the Vikings number. Um, no matter what kind of talent roster that the Vikings have put on the field, it seems like the Seahawks have been just a little better all the time. And it, again, for me, it's the same this year. I think the Seahawks are just a little bit better. Uh, this comes in as kind of a premier game early in the season, and it's uh, it's the prime time, and we know uh, what the Seahawks like to do in prime time, and that's win. And um, Pete Carroll does it again against the Vikings, and I have it down as the fifth straight win to open the season. Wow, that's um, optimistic. I have them this down as a loss. I think that uh, the Vikings are good where they need to be good to really make Seattle's life hard, and that's the defensive line is, especially with Yannick now there, um, that's a team that can get after the passer, and when those guys come off the field because they need a rest, um, the rookies and stuff that are going to come on for playing time, those guys can get after the passer. Wilson's going to be running for his life. This is going to be probably one of his toughest games, Um, and unfortunately, I don't like our offensive coaching staff's ability to adapt to those kind of situations. And so Minnesota's just gotten better. They were good last year. They've gotten significantly better. Um, Who's quarterback? Yeah, I know. I know. Um, I was avoiding that. The, um, the, I was avoiding the Kirk cousins um, discussion on purpose because it doesn't fit the narrative I was trying to <laughs> display there. Um, yeah. I mean, you talk about a guy that's, that he performs great in non prime timey clutch games. And then he sinks when it matters. I get that, but I still think the rest of the roster is good and it's good in the right places to give Seattle fits. And honestly, I didn't want to do what you did. And that's just go, Oh yeah, they're going to open five and oh. So yeah, yeah, um, I get it. To I looked me, at that I, too. I, I was like, you know what? I have the loss early on. I don't feel good about, um, and then I'm going to have this loss too. They're going to, for me, they're going to go into the bye week at three and two, uh, losing to at Atlanta and against Minnesota. Going yeah. I, I, um, I really debated long and hard on this p- pick because like it's, it's interesting when you do these enough, you kind of figure it out. You want to get to a certain spot. Uh, you know your team's good enough to get to a certain number, and now you're trying to figure out how they get to that number. And I got caught into that sort of situation uh, with my predictions. And um, for me, I, I was really leery about picking them to win five in a row. But you know, last year they started ten and two, mm-hmm. and they they they, they threw that kind of um, that difficult start monkeyer that they've been carrying around for a while off their backs and this year they continue that they're a stronger team they're just they just are mm-hmm. they're a stronger team this year they're they've got a much more 
dynamic offense. And Russell Wilson's just a, another year older, another year wiser. Schottenheimer's been in the system now for a while. They've talked about changing it up a little bit and allow Russ, you know, to throw earlier uh, in in early downs. And I just think they're going to give teams fits this year um, on their offense. And and I, their defense is just so much improved. And you just add Adams into that. Adams for me is the key cog in in the win total for the year. I think he adds wins. I really do. As a as a just one player, I think he's a guy that makes that much of a difference. And in games like this, where it's the Vikings, where it's the the Cowboys, whether it's the 49ers or it's the Eagles later on, Adams is the guy that makes the difference in those types of games. And so this is, for me, a win. So Seattle goes into week six, October 13th, with a bye. Um, this is also the week that we can start to look at our players that have been on uh, IR designated for return to be able to come back. Those right now look like they would be Rashad Penny and uh, Daryl Taylor for sure. There's a couple other ones. Colby Parkinson's probably going to end up on there. And then uh, DJ Reed, a guy that we haven't talked about a lot, a guy that has a lot of potential as a a nickel corner uh, on the roster that we kind of picked off from the 49ers. They're going to try to keep him uh, on that roster and on IR. So not sure if he would come back or not. I can't remember what what he's got um, that he was repairing. I think it's a pec injury or something like that that he's trying to repair. Um, and he's he should be ready to that, go by then. But he's the just type of guy know. that you that you you don't rush back. You go, you know what? We're just going to put you on the pup list, um, which means you got to sit out six games before you can start practicing. You know, full speed of the team, and then you've got a we've got a couple weeks before you can. Um, uh, be activated and whatnot. And they're just going to do that knowing that if they have an injury at the yes. position and they need help, well, guess what? Now you got a guy that uh, coming um, off the pup list onto the active roster who can help, who can step in and play. Um, it's just is the limit. Depth. Is the limit on that still two this year that they can bring? Um, no, because these are, these are physically unable to perform players that are. So basically these are players who came into the training camp already injured, injured either from last year or something that happened in the off season. Um, and they're on a completely different set of rules. Now, if the player comes into practice, starts practicing and then gets hurt, then they have to go on injured reserve. Um, and then they can come off injured reserve to, uh, the active roster after, um, eight games, I believe, but you can only, and you can only do two. The interesting thing about that is you cannot place them on injured reserve before setting your 53 man roster. Meaning that if you, if you have a player get hurt, like right now, um, and they want to place them on, on injured reserve, they have to first put them on the 53 man roster and cut someone they wanted to keep. Then put that player on injured reserve, open up a roster spot and hope you can bring back the other guy. Um, the Seahawks did that last year. Geno Smith was the guy that they cut. Uh, didn't have a backup quarterback for a couple of days. Got a couple guys under um, injured reserve, and then brought Geno back to be the backup quarterback. And that was all, you know, agreed upon with him and his agent and everything. And don't they need to do that with DJ Reed? Because wouldn't isn't it likely that the Forty ers want to get him back? Because they were they wanted him to go on their reserve list after he was cut with his injury designation. Yeah. Um, 
so if they if they put him on the pup list, he's fine. I don't because he when did they pick him up? That's what I don't remember. Um, they picked him up off waivers. So right after 49ers cut him, they yeah. picked him up. But with when when was it after the start of training camp? No, this was in May or yeah. June or something. So like that. so he's not he's not a guy that needs to uh, where they have to shift him around and expose him um, to waivers and all of that uh, and have the 49ers pick him up. They he's on the roster now. He's on the pup list. He stays on the pup list and doesn't count against the uh, the fifty three. And then they activate him after week six. All right. So we come off the bye. It's an early bye this week mm-hmm. or this year. So we'll see how that works out for the Seahawks. Um, October 25th, week seven, Seahawks at Cardinals. It's an afternoon game. Um, this is an interesting team. The Cardinals are not a gimme this year. Not a gimme any year for the Seahawks, it seems like. But they're, they're improving their talent level is improving to the point where they're legitimately now a, um, a team that you need to pay attention to and a team that can sneak in and, and grab a win if you're not careful. And um, we're, we're on the road. Cardinals finished five and 10 last year, five, 10 and one. Um, but they're a team on the rise for sure. Kyler Murray's second year. Uh, he, he had a great year last year. Kenyon Drake is back with them. Buda Baker just signed an extension. They got DeAndre Hopkins uh, in that aforementioned big trade of the year type uh, of a move. Larry Fitzgerald's still there. Christian Kirk, et cetera. Um, Chandler Jones had 19 sacks last year on the defensive side of the ball. They, they got a couple of free agents uh, in to help them out. They had a nice draft with Isaiah Simmons, um, kind of a jack-of-all-trades linebacker guy. Josh Jones, uh, Lucky Foto, Rashad Lawrence, etc. So, what do you think about this game, Keith? You make your prediction before I make mine. I have this one. This, remember at the beginning, I said there were there were two games that ha- I had arrows to, and I'm like, they're going to win one and lose one. Um, and this is one of them. I have this one down as a win, but I'm so not uh, confident about it. But I do have them them going on the road and winning. They seem to do better against Arizona on the road, as long as that one uh, corner of the end zone doesn't, you know, work its magic. Um, the rest of the, the rest of the field, um, the Seahawks tend to do well uh, down there in Arizona. And so um, I still don't like Collins is so much of their defense, him and, and Baker. Um, I just, I think that as far as their defense goes, it's, a couple of really high end pieces surrounded by a bunch of meh talent. And I think as a team, you can neutralize the high end pieces when there's only a couple of them. And then when the rest of the talent around them, isn't that good. And I think that, um, Seattle is going to be able to spread the ball around to too many players that it's just going to become too hard for Arizona to keep up with defensively. And, and honestly, um, I still have no reason whatsoever to believe that Cliff Kingsbury, who was a failed college coach, um, is going to make for a good pro coach. So uh, he can prove me wrong. He can. But I right now I don't believe in him one bit. So I have this as a win for Seattle. Well, this is definitely a statement game for the Cardinals. Um, this is you know their first um, game, I think, against a division opponent. 
they want to come out and um, this is this is the test for them. And they passed it on this particular occasion. I've got the Seahawks losing their first game of the year against the Cardinals in the desert. Um, and for a lot of the reasons that you mentioned, I, I had reservations, but um, Seattle came out so strong at the, at the beginning of the year in my predictions and then had the bye week and lost a little bit of momentum, went into the desert, thought they were going to get the win, and uh, they got smacked around a little bit by a team that's pretty hungry and wants wants to prove that they're a better team this year. And a lot of draft pundits have them in the race with the Seahawks for second place in the division. Everyone kind of still thinks the 49ers are going to take it. Uh, you know, a lot of a lot of folks are talking about the Seahawks taking the division now and the 49ers being second. Either way, um, there's a lot of talk about the Cardinals being the third team to make the playoffs out of this division this year. And I think they really do have a legit shot. It depends on how it all comes together for them around Kyler Murray. Um, but if it does come together, this could be a nine-win team. And um, that's why I have them done as a loss. All right. November 1st, San Francisco 49ers at the Seattle Seahawks. Um, what a game. I mean, this is going to be an epic game. And it's going to be a battle for uh, the NFC West supremacy. Um, the 49ers are a tremendous team. They've got a tremendous roster. Uh, they rally around uh, Jimmy Garoppolo, who's an okay quarterback, kind of unproven, untested as far as being a late game rallying, uh, win the game on your own kind of quarterback. But we're going to see if he is that kind of quarterback this year. They've got uh, George Kittle. They've got Nick Bosa, Debo Samuel. They've got uh, Eric Armstead just signed up again. Richard Sherman's still there, obviously. Uh, they've got a ton of pieces. Um, and it just really depends on if they show up and, and try to take a game in Seattle this year. Uh, I don't have them taking the game in Seattle this year. I've got the Seahawks in this one. Uh, rebounding from the loss against the Cardinals, Seahawks win against the 49ers and um, set up a possible uh, division title game at the end. Yeah. Um, I'm Keith, with what you do you think about on, the 49ers? I'm with you on, um, on all of that. I think we've got a, um, a situation where the 49ers take a small step back this year because of the talent they lost. Yes, they replaced a lot of the guys, but they replaced them with either unproven guys or guys that just aren't quite as good. Um, so I have them taking a slight step back and the CX taking a slight step forward. And this was, you know, a matchup that was really, really even last year. The Seahawks won one. They lost one by a couple of inches. So uh, I have the Seahawks winning this one at home, in part because it's at home. Um, but you know what? These games are fun. The 49er games. The rivalry is back. The rivalry is back. Last year it was great. This year I think it's going to be even better. Um, and Jamal Adams against the 49ers, Keith. What? Yeah. Well, and you, part of it is that, um, you know, Jimmy Garoppolo is not a great quarterback. Um, I know people in San Francisco want to think that he's Matt Ryan, but he's not, at least not yet. Now he's not at this point in his career. And so, uh, when you add such a dynamic defender that flies around and is not where, you know, 
uh, he would normally be predictably. And now you've got this, you know, below average uh, or average guy, you know, assuming that he is where he should be. That's how you end up with a guy that gets like two, three interceptions in a game. Uh, I could see uh, Adams just really taking it to the 49ers and making this one um, a lot of fun in Seattle. And so that's why I have uh, Seattle winning this one. Sweet. What's the next one, Keith? So the next one is the other game of the two that pointed back and forth. And I'm like, I don't know. Um, It's at Buffalo. It's on the road. It's an early game. The Buffalo roster is stacked. Everything that you said about the Miami roster is more true about Buffalo's. It's a better roster. The difference is, is while Miami has uh, hope in Tua at quarterback, Buffalo's got Josh Allen. And, you know, I mean, this is kind of like uh, when Blake Bortles was piloting the um, Jacksonville Jaguars to the um, AFC title game type of team. A great team. Do you know that the Buffalo Bills haven't won the division since 1995? Isn't that crazy? Haven't won it since is. 1995. It's been 12 years Yeah, but since somebody the, other than the New England Patriots has won this division. Which is which is a testament to the Patriots and and how good they've been as an organization, but it's also a testament to how awful that division is. Miami has been terrible. The Jets have been terrible. Bills have mostly been terrible. Um, I mean, the the Patriots get to walk into the playoffs with 11, 12 wins every year because they play in the worst division in football. Um, Miami's starting to turn around. The Patriots taking a step back. And Buffalo has put they've quietly put together a really really nice roster um i have this one as a loss i don't feel great about that but i also didn't feel great about the win at arizona two weeks earlier and so that's why i'm like i think they take one out of those two games i have them winning in arizona losing in buffalo it could you could swap that um but i have this one as a loss it's funny i have them losing both of those games for basically the same reasons um that you that you just listed um, if this game wasn't in Buffalo, I would have it as a win because I think Seattle's offense is going to be tremendous and kind of trumps the Buffalo Bills defense. The Buffalo Bills defense is, is really good, really solid. Their t- whole entire team is based on that defense. Their offense is kind of a supplement to that defense as far as kind of keeping them in games, getting by with doing just enough um, to, to, to make the score in your favor. And uh, let's see what kind of year Josh Allen has um, and who he has it with. And, and then we'll, we'll see. But for right now, looking at it early in the, in the year, I've got it down as a loss as well. Um, yeah. I'd much rather play the game when they play it in, um, you know, it's early November, early November, then later in the year in, in like mid to late December or early January. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, No, that is favorable. Yes. But at the same time, I would kind of wish this game was in early October because then, you know, even the chance of bad weather kind of, it's just mitigated a little bit, but we'll see. So this is the first time we face the Rams, um, in the year. Seahawks at Rams, November 15th, week 10. Um, it's an afternoon game. It's the first time the Seattle will be in the new stadium in Los Angeles, which apparently is all that and then a bag of chips. Um, Sean McVay is still there. 
he's still like the wonder kid as far as being the, the coach uh, that everyone wanted. But uh, I think people have figured him out a little bit. Their offense has changed. They've jettisoned some players. Jared Goff's still bad. Um, I do like a couple of the, the, the tools that they do have. They picked up Cam Akers in the draft. We both like Cam Akers as a running back in the middle rounds. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that should help them. Um because I think he's going to be more consistent and more productive than Todd Gurley was in the last couple of years that he was there. Cooper Cup, uh, one of my favorite receivers coming out of school. I can't believe the Seahawks passed on him. Of course, everyone else did too. Um, Robert Woods, uh, Van Jefferson, Josh Reynolds. Um, they also have Daryl Henderson at running back as well. So their offense is still pretty decent. Um, their offensive line is porous. That Whitworth just signed up for another couple years and he's 45 years old i kid you not and um yeah we'll see but on defense they they're not a very good defensive team and they lost talent so not only are were they not a very good defensive team before this year they they let some talent go in free agency and didn't get anything really back so um i'm gonna say seahawks uh on the road uh take this game pretty pretty easily actually. Well, this is the, the Rams are rebuilding. Let's just make that clear. They, um, traded away a wide receiver who still had, um, enough guaranteed money and big enough signing bonus that he actually counted more against the cap to not be on the roster than if he had stayed. Um, and that would be Brandon Cooks, who was probably their uh, second best receiver, definitely their best deep threat um, last year. And he is no longer there. Um, They lost players up and down the defense. They uh, jettisoned Todd Gurley, even though I know that he only has one leg, that knee is just trashed at this point. Um, But they, they cut and they cut and they, they, this is a team that's trying to get themselves get their cap situation under control so that way next year they can be competitive again. And that's what yeah. this year is about for them. Um, but still with uh, with Jared Goff, I think they really need – there's no way to let him go mm-hmm. uh, contractually until the year 2023. Yeah. So, I mean, his contract is terrible, and it's going to hamstring them. But they couldn't – they couldn't do with him and Gurley. I mean, those are two; those were two giant contracts for guys that are, were giving them nothing productively because Gurley just can't run anymore, and Goff just isn't that good. And so, getting rid of of Gurley and you know replacing him, I think, was a good move. But they needed they needed to figure out the cap situation along with that, and so they went ahead and and had kind of a rebuilding year. And they were lucky to keep Michael Brockers, who. Um, you know, looked like he was on the way out and then, you know, came back real quick. So, uh, but the defense isn't, it isn't great. I mean, you've got Ramsey and you've got Aaron Donald. The end. That's it. Um, the rest of the defense is pretty bad and Seattle's strength is its offense right now. Um, I have this as a win. I don't think the Rams are going to be that competitive this year. Yeah, I, I agree. Okay. So we've got the second game of the year against the Cardinals at the Seahawks. November 19th, it's a afternoon game, primetime against the Cardinals, which is a first for a while. I mean, it's been a long time since I think we faced the Cardinals in primetime. Um, I, I believe that's the Thursday night game, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it looks like it. Yes, it's just four days after the, the Rams game. So, 
5.20 in the afternoon on the NFL channel. I've got it down as a win. I had the, the, the game on the road as a loss. I've got this one down as a win. I have this one down as a win. I had the previous one as a win, but I felt really shaky about it. I have this one as a win, and I feel much more comfortable with it. And the reason is because when you look at these Thursday night games, when there's really not a chance to game plan, um, and there's very little game planning done, you pretty much just go through a couple walkthroughs and then run out and play another game. Um, in the end, I say veteran talent and experience wins. Um the Seahawks have that in Russell Wilson, and that tends to be the overriding factor on Thursday night games. And so I got Arizona with a win. Yeah, these things always get interesting, too, because you've entered the time of year where you can, uh, rain starts to become a factor. Um, and uh, we'll see what happens with that. Uh, next up is another primetime game. Uh, this time we get a little bit more rest in between. Week 12, November 30th, so 11 days later. Uh, the Seahawks are at the Eagles, another East Coast game, but it's a primetime game, so we don't have to worry about waking up first thing in the morning. The first of four straight games against East Coast teams. Um, three of the four are against um, the NFC East, and then you throw the Jets in the middle there. So I thought yeah. that was kind of an interesting schedule like thing at the end of the year. Yeah, no, it is interesting. What do you think about the Eagles this year? I mean... Everyone seems to want to to put them on par with Dallas, and I'm just, you know we faced them a couple times last year, and I just they were okay. I mean they slowed us down mm-hmm. for a while, but we eventually kind of pulled away. Well, and I don't last know. year, last year the Eagles had no wide receivers, and then the couple that they did have got hurt, um, and so basically what you had was, you know they were pulling guys off other people's practice squads. And then they were, those guys were starting um, at wide receiver. It really made their offense just die. And it was just a a big mess for them. And so I could totally see this be a, a situation where they have a a big, I mean, they were a playoff team last year. Um, They won their division last year. And that was with very little offense. Um, you know, I think they, they get a chance to rebound. They're going to be healthier this year. The defense is still good. Um, I think they're going to be a decent team. I don't know if they are a contender for a Super Bowl, but they should they should win that division or at least be right there with Dallas. This isn't going to be like Dallas isn't going to run away, run away with the division uh, from them. I think they're fairly, you know, fairly even. I have this game... Um, as a loss, which is weird because this is, I'm realizing right now this is the second primetime loss I have for the Seahawks, and that just doesn't happen. They are a primetime team. Um, but I have this game down for a loss. I think that um, coming off, uh, you know, the Arizona game and the Thursday night, and yes, it's it's a mini-buy, and that should help them get rested and everything. But I think that you have that, and then you have the long trip um, to the East Coast, to Philadelphia, uh, I think it's going one of those games where energy level is low and just hard for this team to get going. And um, there's always one of those. So I just thought that one kind of looked like it could be that game. So I had picked this one as a loss. Yeah, this is no easy task. Um, I think they do. They have improved um, from from the year prior, particularly with the wide receiver. Now, did Marquise Goodwin opt out? I can't remember, Keith. Um, Jalen Rager, though, uh, in the draft. Um, an excellent, uh, speedy guy uh, that's really going to help Carson Wentz. Um, they 
they did well in the draft. They did well in free agency. They got Darius Slay, um, Roby Coleman, Javon Hargrove at defensive tackle. That's in addition to Brandon Graham at defensive end and Fletcher Cox at defensive tackle with Malik Jackson. So they've got a tremendous defensive front to be able to face uh, uh, as an offensive line. You're kind of leery of that a little bit. Um, I see them being fairly even as a, as a ball club to Seattle. Um, but I've got this as a loss. Uh, I know it's prime time, but it is on the road. It comes after uh, a tough stretch for the Seahawks. And uh, they've had enough time off in this game where they got a little relaxed. So to me, it's a loss. Cool. Um, the following week, they come back home. They play the Giants. The Giants are terrible. That's a win. Do I have to add any more? I've got the next three as a win. Let's just do all three together. The next game, they're the Jets. <laughs> the Jets are terrible. That's going to be a win. The following week, they go in on the road to Washington. Washington's worse than the Giants and the Jets. They are terrible. That's a win. Uh, love it. Next. Literally. <laughs> literally all three we can do together. Thank you. We just we saved ourselves a ton of time and our listeners. Yeah. Um, I'm not even going to comment. So... <laughs> <laughs> and so now we get to uh, the final two weeks yes. of the year, uh, both against division. They play at home against uh, the Rams to start that off. Who do you got? What do you got going on there? Okay, I am going to comment really quick. Uh, the uh, Jets at Seahawks game is a late afternoon game, 520 p.m. That game could, in fact, flex out. Only I only say that because the Jets are awful. And at that time of the year, uh, they may not get that in prime time. So. Um, the Rams at the Seahawks. Interesting. Uh, this is a letdown game for me after three easy peasy wins, right? And nothing in the NFL is easy, but this is as easy as you get a three game stretch for the Seahawks. Um, at this point in the year, uh, I only had the Seahawks with three losses up until this point, up until this moment. And so this was a letdown game for me. And the Rams come in and sneak one at home. I hate this. I hate it. <laughs> but it's one of those games, mm. like you mentioned earlier, that can happen uh, to a team each year. And this is the one that I've got. Uh, it's December 27th. Everyone's fat and happy from Christmas. Rams come in, sneak one against the Seahawks. And I've got it as a loss. I have this as a win. The Seahawks are the better team. It's at home. And I think that at this point, they're looking at um, the following week, San Francisco. That is going to be a winner-take-all game for the division. But the Seahawks need a win to force that to happen. If they lose that game, they for me, I was already they're there. Out for and for so, you, you had to force it. For me, I'm we're already at that moment. Yeah, yeah. Um, so for you, it, that game didn't matter. They were no, going to lose correct. and still and still have a play-in game or a division clinching game for me. I, I felt like they, um, they needed a win to keep that alive. Um, cause San Francisco is going to be right there. So they get that win, um, against the Rams. That's what keeps their focus and stops them from having the letdown game. Um, otherwise I, you're right. That has the potential to be a trap game. So here we are. We've made it to the last game of the year, January 3rd. If everything goes correctly, we can, we can have 16 games with COVID. And we get to this point, week 17, Seahawks at the 49ers. This is not a home game. This is in Santa Clara. Uh, this, is a, this is a huge game. This is a game that's probably going to get flexed. 
because right now it's not on national TV. But How I'm telling you, I know. But I'm telling you right right now that uh, this game will be a nationally televised game because fans will demand it. This is the best rivalry in the NFL, and this game proves it. Uh, this game goes up back and forth down to the wire all the way, and guess who comes up big? Jamal Adams. Jamal Adams is the difference maker in a game like this. It's a big game, the biggest game of his career so far, and he comes up big, and uh, so does Russell Wilson and the rest of the gang, and we win it on the road to take the division at 12-4. and four. Well, when you play for the Jets – and then you leave and actually go to a good team, every game is bigger than any other game you've had in your career. Um, that's what playing to the Jet, for the Jets does for you. Um, but yes, this game's huge. And I looked at this game, and I had them beating San Francisco at home early with Adams being the difference maker there. I think in this game, on the road, it's going to feel like last year, where it's going to come down to the end, and last year, the Seahawks came up a few inches short, and that's how close it was because you never count Russell Wilson out. But I was looking at this, and I go, I can see Seattle losing this game because it's on the road. It's down there. Absolutely. They, and, um, and it's by then, we may have fans in the seats, and um, I could just see this being one of those games where the two teams just wear each other out over four quarters, and then... It just come down to the end, and I, I see this. Who do you put your money on? You know, Russell Wilson or Jimmy Garoppolo? It's not just those two guys. To me, it's um, who do I put my money on? Jamal Adams or Richard Sherman? Wow. Because I think it comes down to a defensive player making a play. And honestly, as much as I love Adams, and I think he's dynamic, Richard Sherman will leave his mark on this rivalry from the 49ers point of view. He left it on it from Seattle's point of view multiple times. He'll leave it on the, he'll make his mark from as a 49er. I hate it, but I have it down for a loss for the Seahawks and Seattle dropping to 11 and five and ending up as a wild card team to the 12 and four 49ers. Wow. That's devastating right there. That is not good news. You are now by hereby banished from the, from the podcast <laughs> and you shall remain silent for the rest of the, no, I'm kidding. Um, okay. That is uh that is a really good season of predictions and it came down to the end. And I loved the two stories that we told, you know, you, you told the story of a, a, a Richard Sherman coming back to haunt his old team and being the difference maker. And I'm, I'm the, I'm the new guy. Jamal Adams coming in in the biggest game of his life, making a big play to, to seal a victory or something. Talk about, I mean, if either one of those two things happened, it would be an amazing game. Oh, it's as, pure as drama. A, as a not, <laughs> not just a straight fan, who wouldn't want to see one of those two outcomes? Well, and the thing is that um, when it comes down to it, and I, I said this earlier when we were talking about the game, the NFL is at its best when the Seahawks and 49ers are both great. We learned that during the Jim Harbaugh years and, you know, 2012, 2013, 2014. Um, the, the NFL just has a different energy on the West Coast because of those two teams. And none of the other West Coast teams can match that. They just don't have 
the personalities. Uh, and, yeah. Right. Uh, the, the LA teams the star power. and, and it's it just Seattle and, and San Francisco are the two big teams. And when they're both good and that rivalry is strong, the NFL is better for it. And right now we are in a situation where both these teams are really good teams. And that it just makes it really fun. It makes me want to go and really study San Francisco's schedule, which I have not. Um, just to kind of find out the uh, idiosyncrasies of their schedule and find out where they're susceptible, what could happen, where it might come down to at the end there. Because um, there could be a situation where we're not playing for the division title. Uh, San Francisco could already have secured it. Um because they just played lights out out of their mind and they're 14 and two, you know, they're potentially 14 and two team heading into that. Or it could be Seattle's uh, ahead by a couple of games heading into that. And it doesn't really matter. But if they're both going into that game with 11 wins and they're trying to get to 12. Um, wow. I mean, that's a, I think that that's, that's actually very realistic because of the division itself. Um, to ask teams to come in with a better record than 11 wins with one game remaining is very difficult in this division because they're going to beat each other up. You know, the Cardinals, everyone's got to get past the Cardinals, 49ers as well. And, um, it, man, the I'm one, excited now. The thing is that both teams play the NFC East and the AFC East, which means you play a lot of bad teams like Washington and New York and New York, um, which the Seahawks play three games in a row. Um, the, the only difference in terms of opponents is that where Seattle plays Atlanta and Minnesota, um, the 49ers play New Orleans and Green Bay. Mm. And I got to tell you, there's a difference maker. The, the Green Bay versus Minnesota, I think Minnesota might be better this year, but both of those are very good teams. But Atlanta is not as good as, um, as the Saints. The Saints are, are a better team. That's a, that one spot on the schedule is the difference between um, – uh, that could be a win. That could, that could be a win going in because that is a significantly harder game. That tells game you how, how big that game is. Reserves. That's a huge game for them. Well, it's a huge game for us. The first game of the year. Yeah, against that the Atlanta, Atlanta game. Falcons. Yeah. Interesting. Wow. That was fun. Uh no that surprises. No surprises for me. I I went into the situation, I'll be completely honest. I went in looking for twelve wins. Um, because I believe that we have a twelve win team. Um, and I think you know, we're one win better than last year. I really do. And I believe the difference maker is Jamal Adams. And I don't know that Jadavian Clowney, while I think he's a tremendous player, what sort of win total did he add to the to the to overall win total last year that we can't replicate this year by a combination of guys? And I just don't see it. But I do believe that Adams is a transformational football player who definitely adds at least a win, if not maybe two wins to a to a team's overall win total. And so. To get to 12 and 4 wasn't that big of a stretch for me, going from 11 and 5. Now, I will say this. Last year, we had 10 one-score games that we won. Um, it's hard to replicate that. There's two arguments you can make. One is we can't replicate that 
and we really lucked out and we won more games than we probably should have last year and therefore will be worse this year because it'll come back to normal. Or B, you can say Seattle won all those games in spite of itself because just of Russell Wilson and chances are uh, based on just a little bit of an increase in talent, we can duplicate that and maybe increase that because um, we're going to be better overall this year and we're not going to have so many close games. So well, the Seahawks which one also, is it going to be? The Seahawks also went out of their way last year with some really terrible offensive play calling to make games much closer than they should have been. They, and our defense at, sucked though, Keith, it did. At times, but at, there, were, there, were, there were multiple games where they just absolutely were not trying to score points early in the games. They were trying to shorten the game and run out the clock and they weren't really trying to drive down the field and score points. And if they, you know, people will say, Oh, that can't be true. Go back and look at the play calling. You know, you don't run uh, inside zone on third and eight. If you're trying to get a first down, no, you're setting up a punt. Um, And they did that over and over and over again in some games. And so they artificially kept games close that shouldn't have been close. They were the better team. Um, And because they have Russell Wilson, it didn't bite them. Um, Yeah. I mean, how many times did we come on the show last year after games and say, what is going on with the team? Why do we always make Russell Wilson play hero ball to, to, bail us out and over and over again he, he's able to uh but how but can that keep going like in perpetuity um and i don't know that it can i mean it's it's not it doesn't seem like a sustainable model mm-hmm. uh but we have and i don't want to get into a pete carroll conversation because i love pete carroll as a coach and i wouldn't want any other coach right now but he plays a certain brand of football that's conservative in those sorts of situations where we do play for punts, we do play for field position. We flip the field. We put it on our defense, even if our defense hasn't warranted it at to that point in a game to put the onus on them to make a stop. Uh, here we are again and again, facing the same sort of situation. Does that change at all this year? It sounds like it's going to, um, they're talking about putting the ball in Russell Wilson's hands more early in games um, you know, Pete Carroll basically came out and said, uh, that this team, you know, the offense was significantly better in the fourth quarter when they kind of pulled, let the reins go, uh, and let Wilson be Wilson. Um, like there's been some acknowledgement from the coaching staff. There's Pete some pers- and personnel nods, uh, in yeah. this, in this roster that show that they are leaning in that direction. Yeah. And then, you know, for them to, uh, you know, Shell at right tackle is, I think, a great example of it. He is a guy that is a better pass blocker than a run blocker. And if they're going to go stick the right tackle out there who's known for being a pass blocker and not a run blocker, it, that to me tells they're planning on having situations where that pass blocking on that edge is going to be more important than it was last year. And Russell Wilson isn't getting any younger. He's you not. know, he just isn't. Um, he's he's going to be 32 this year, 33, right? Yeah, he's, got a, he's got another, he's probably got another um, four or five years, including counting this one of prime. Um, and then the team better be ready to uh, win with Wilson, not because of Wilson, because guys don't last forever. <laughs> I mean, you look at the, what the Saints have done with uh, Drew Brees. They've altered their offense. They've, 
uh, gone to, they've, they've added more runs, they've added uh, more things. They're just, they're asking him to do a little less at this stage in his career because he's older. He's just not, you know, he's not a guy who's 35. He's a guy who's like 42. And so, uh, actually, I don't know how old he is, but he's, he's older. And so they, they, they have moved away from expecting him to do everything and it's helped. It's extended his career. It's extended their streak of uh, contention. And the Seahawks have a couple years left of Wilson in his prime, but they're going to have to make that transition um, at some point. Interesting. So we get to talk about how we feel about the roster next week. Um, yeah, we do. We, we started out the today's show kind of in that direction. Um, it'll be interesting to see if they make any further moves. Jadavian Clowney's still out there. We haven't talked purposefully about Jadavian Clowney for a long there time. There was a report today about him that uh, now that training camps are over and we're getting close to 53s, um, he's more interested in signing. And so I, I've read a report where it's just between us and the Titans. And the Titans. And that they're both looking at very similar deals. And it's and kind why of. Why wouldn't a, you come here? Based on Seattle's roster and based on Pete Carroll and based on your relationships you built last year, um, unless unless those those relationships weren't as strong as reported. No, there's the there's another part to it, and that would be that the Titans play in the same division as the Texans, which were the team that drafted him first overall, and then promptly, you know, kind of blamed him for some of their woes along the way, and let him be the scapegoat in fans' eyes and didn't really defend him, didn't want to pay him, and that's why they traded him, right? Um, and to be able to go back and play against the Texans, and especially if you know if he could come in, make a couple difference-making play, difference plays in that rivalry game and be the reason why the Titans win the division instead of the Texans, that has a lot of appeal. Um, I can see that being a thing. I also could see him coming back to Seattle. In fact, I, if I was to, um, you know, put odds on it, as long as it's only those two teams and we don't have a dark horse team coming in um, at the last second, I would say it's probably 65-35 that he ends up in Seattle. We shall see. I mean, if he comes in, you know, uh, Green goes back to a reserve role, rotation role. LJ Collier has very little playing time unless he plays back up three tech exclusively behind mm -hmm. Jaron Reed. Um, so it does alter the roster a little bit. How does, how would a Jadavian Clowney, and I don't want to spend too much time on this, but how does a Jadavian Clowney signing to this existing roster um, impact our ability to get to like 12 wins and, and uh, home field advantage and a decent shot at the Super Bowl? Well, the one weakness on this roster, I mean, people will say the offensive line because it's an unknown, but I think it's it's vastly improved from last year. Um, but the one weakness on this roster right now, if you look at it, is the defensive line. And you just added a player who, the moment he walks onto the field, is the best defensive lineman that the Seahawks have. Um, because he's that good. Well, and the I good think news is huge we've got huge, we've got major improvement on the pieces that are around him. Yes. The depth is significantly better this year. So and the, no, no Ezekiel answer. Would that immediately make the Seahawks favorites out of the NFC? 
Um, maybe. Because right now, um, is it the 49ers, the New Orleans Saints, and the Seahawks, and who else out of Minnesota, the, out of the NFC, Minnesota, and the Packers? The Packers were 12 wins last year. Yeah. I mean, they, they kind of won the same way that Seattle won, you know, a lot of the close games and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, they also had a really easy schedule last they year did, to right. get there. So exactly. um, they were, they felt like a kind of a pretender um, team for most of last year. But then, you know, they kept winning. So um, I would say, yeah, I mean, you, you've got five teams. And it's the same five, five teams right now, even without Clowney, right? It's Seattle, San Francisco, New Orleans, um, the Packers, and the Vikings. Those are the five How teams. How about Dallas and at. Philadelphia? I don't put them up the same level. Gotcha. They're gonna get they're gonna get into the playoffs because they play in a really weak division. How about the Buccaneers? But, Everyone's talking about the Buccaneers this year. I don't care. <laughs> um, I definitely think that they're they're behind the Saints, but they could get a wild card spot. Yeah, I think they're behind Atlanta. Wow. I know everyone's talking about them because Tom Brady. But what they don't realize is look at Tom Brady last year. He wasn't good. He wasn't good. The team won in spite of Brady last year. He ha- Brady was, he showed his age for the first time ever. He reached that quarterback cliff and really, really struggled. Um, I don't know. If, I don't think he has anything left in the tank. I would have I to really a take disaster. a hard look at the Bucks roster. But Bruce Arians is gonna, a good, solid coach who gets a lot out of his players. I just don't know. I mean, I just I don't, don't know. know enough about him. They, he he got out a lot out of his players at times in Arizona, and he also... I've just seen them in a lot of top 10 te- uh, lists this year, preseason. And a lot of, almost all of it has to do with Brady. You just yeah. add Brady in, so people are like, oh, they're a top 10 team. Yeah, I just, I'm personally, I I'm not it. doing that. I mean, I don't buy Tom it. Brady right now is is a maybe the 10th to 15th best quarterback in the league. I mean, he's no longer oh, in the top five conversation. I don't think he's in the top half of the league. Oh, be he, I think he 20. is because he's he's competent. He's not going to lose games for you. He still has the quick release. That's really hard to how to defend. Yeah, but his accuracy, which is what he made his living on for almost his entire career, just disappeared on him last year. He was throwing the ball all over the place. And that's why and, he's not in, back in New England. Yep. Because um, Belichick realized that he could get that level of production, maybe not the leadership and the, you know, all of that, but the same production out of anybody. So they let him go. So this week we get to find out what happens to Anthony Gordon. What happens to Rashad Penny? Is he on the, is he on the injured list? Daryl Taylor hasn't played it down yet. And uh, now people are talking about him wasting his entire rookie season. Uh, Jason Stanley Guys like Lindell Stevens and Ryan Neal on the back end of the cornerback group, are they going to make the roster? Lots and lots of questions. What about Justin Britt? He came in for a second interview with the team. It seems like they're putting him on a shadow roster where they're going to wait for week one cuts. Maybe B.J. Finney's not long for this roster. Justin Britt comes in, takes over the starting role, and Ethan Posick's the reserve again. Who knows? I mean, why would they be so serious about Justin Britt if, B.J. Finney wasn't a complete disaster. Yeah, I've heard, um, we talked about it for the last uh, couple shows, 
but I keep hearing the team being very disappointed in Finney and his inability to uh, make the right reads during the run game. Like, because uh, it's zone blocking, so it's all these rules. You know, if, you, if this guy lands up over this shoulder, if he's there, you release on the third step. You know, there's all these different things that you've got to know, and I keep hearing that he is just not getting it. Because um, didn't, they didn't use that... Um, they didn't use that system in uh, Pittsburgh. They uh, had a very different system there. And so although his tape is really good, like you have to be able to block the right guy at the right time. And that's the part that he's And there's just with. not enough of an offseason to make yeah. sure that he has enough reps. And so that's been a struggle. And that's why Ethan Posick looks like he's going to be the starter more and more. It and looks Justin like Britt has now got a bunk bed in the VMAC. Yeah, um, he's waiting. Yeah, so let's find out. We'll come back next week. I uh, I don't know what time we're going to record in the week, but um, maybe maybe earlier this this next week. So, um, all right. So we're going to wrap it up. You can find Keith on Twitter at Myers NFL. I'm at NWC Hawk. The show is at Hawks Playbook on Twitter. SeahawksPlaybook.com is where you can find all the shows. You can look us up on the web. You can find us on nearly every single podcast app. I think we're trying to get on iHeartRadio at some point. And I think that might be the last, one of the last, is Stitcher and iHeart. I think they're the last two remaining major platforms that we're not on. But We were on Stitcher for a little bit, and then for some reason they stopped uh, carrying us. And I've yeah. looked, tried to look into why, and I don't know. They don't like they're, you. They, they don't like me. I they think they like yeah. you. You're, you're fine. It's me. Yeah, it, it is, is you. I mean, honestly, it, <laughs> It's me. I know. All right. Uh, I love you, man. So we'll talk next week. (laughs) All right. Go Hawks. Go Hawks. Seahawks Playbook Podcast listeners. Thanks for joining us for another edition of the show. You can find us on Twitter. Bill is at NW Seahawk. Keith is at Myers NFL. And the show is at Hawks Playbook. You can listen and subscribe to the show at SeahawksPlaybook.com.